Hallelujah. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I've been on, uh, my wife and I have been on this series since the beginning of the year called Making Room. And um, probably should actually call these last two weeks and this week uh, about just, you know, uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Because that's what I'm going to continue on this morning. Say that with me. Blessed Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You know, this is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, and it's making room for the glory of God in our lives, making room for Him to manifest in our lives in a, in a greater degree. And everything we've been dealing with this topic of blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, a lot of times we can't see the things we need to see because all of the things we fill our heart with. Because our life can be filled with so many things, the, you know, whether it's the, the news, social media, uh, the, the, the pressures that take place in family, uh, things happening on the, in the workplace, whatever it is. Things can fill our hearts so much to where we can't see the very thing we need to see, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's look at Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 8, it says, This people draws near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So here it says, They draw near to me with their mouth, And they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, it's possible to do something that's spiritual, but yet not have the right heart with it. Right? It's possible to do something that looks good, but still not be the, it's still not the thing that's going to produce in my life. You know, we talked about last week about the, uh, about the, um, the people that Jesus went to their hometown and he said he couldn't do a mighty work there because of their unbelief. They were offended in him. They, they were going back and forth. Their, their heart was like, yeah, we see the miracles, but yet, but this is Mary's boy. So there was something in their heart that was keeping them from seeing the things that they needed to see, right? In First uh, Timothy chapter three, Second uh, Timothy chapter three, it talks about, he warns them and says, it says, you know, in the last days there'll be perilous times. Hard to deal with and hard to bear. And it says people will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And it says they'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. Meaning, meaning they're doing things the right, they're doing the right things on the outside, but there's a disconnect from their heart. See, God is interested in the hidden man of the heart, as Peter talks about. He's, he's interested in what's going down on the inside of your heart. It's not, it's not about the actions. It's not about, uh, you, it's not about the form. It's not about uh, how you look on the outside. But, but, but he's interested in what's going on on the inside of you. What's going on the inside of your heart. And, and, and it's out of that heart, it's out of that pure heart that we'll see God do amazing things. Amazing things. Thank you, Father. Go to Acts chapter 7. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Along with this, we've been talking about about staying hungry. Staying hungry. I want to make a statement to you, and I may make it throughout my time with you this morning. And it's this, that you are known by the things you pursue. You are known by the things that you pursue. 
pursue. You know, if, if you are known as an addict, it's because you pursued certain things to support that habit, right? If you are a professional basketball player, you're known as a basketball player. Why? Because you pursued being a basketball player. You know, you, you know, Trey, you're known not only as a, as a preacher, but you're known as a, a, a roper in the rodeo world. So what? Because you pursue that, right? And so you are known by the things that you pursue. So, so the things that you're pursuing is what you're going to be known for. Whether, whether good or bad, the, the things that you pursue is what you're known for. Are you known as a worshiper? Or is it just a label you wear? Are you known as a Christian or is it just the label you wear? Because you're going to be known by the things that you pursue. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Actually, before we get to Acts uh, 7, let's go to Acts 6. Verse 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. So they're looking for something, right? Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we give ourselves, con- but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. In the same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. He was known for this. What are you known for? Now, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm praying about something and the Lord comes to me and says, and says Justin, I want you to choose... Five men, five or five women, men or women, because I want you to do do something. See, they had to, they they went to people that they had seen something in their life. They had seen some fruit in their life. He was known as a man that was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. So you have to ask yourself, what are do you want to be known for? Now, now, if I was in that day, you know, it goes back to the, the, the first message I did on this is, is I, I want to be that one. I, if they're looking for these men that are full of faith and full of the Holy, I want to be the one. How about you? Amen. See, they were known for these things. Why? Because this is what the Stephen was known for this, because this is what he pursued. Hallelujah. Verse six says, whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them and the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Now verse eight, and Stephen full of faith and power, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. But there were some people that had some issues with this. See, sometimes people might not, not like what you're known for. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, every, not everyone might celebrate you because of what you pursue. Not, not everyone's going to celebrate the fact that you're a Christian. Not everyone's going to celebrate the, 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 
the journey that you've walked or the things that you've sacrificed as it pertains to pursuing God. Not, not everyone's going to do that, but you know what? It's not about what everyone else thinks. It's, it's about what's going on in Stephen's heart because it was what's going on in Stephen's heart that determined what he was going to be, not what everyone else was going to decide he was going to be. Verse 10. It says, but they were not able to resist the intelligence and the wisdom and the inspiration of the spirit with which by he spoke. Man, there was something different about this Stephen. There was something different about this man. It was what was in here. It wasn't what was up here. It was what was in here. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Verse 13, it says, and they brought forward false witnesses who asserted the man, this man never stops making statements against the sacred place and the law of Moses. For we have heard him say that this Jesus, the Nazarene, will tear down and destroy this place and will after the institution and usages which Moses transmitted to us. Verse 15, then all who sat in the council as they gazed intently at Stephen saw that his face had the appearance of of an angel. Wow. So not only are, are the, the people that put them in office, but now the people that were against him saying there's something different about Stephen. Yeah. There's something different about Stephen. Do people see God in you? Yeah. See, the glory of God manifesting in your life will change you from the inside out. Yeah. And let's go to let's, Acts 7 verse 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? Verse 2, and he said, men, brethren, and fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now get this, the God of glory. Here, all of a sudden now, Stephen has an opportunity to minister. And what does he start off saying? The God of glory. The God of glory who appeared to our father Abraham. If you read the whole chapter of Acts, Acts 7, and I'm going to touch on a few things with it, just for the sake of where we're going this morning, because we need to see this. He, he refer, the first thing he references is the God of glory. You know, why, how could he say that? Because he had a relationship with the God of glory. He, there was something on the inside of him that was like, man, I, I want to know. I want to know him. If you go on and you read throughout this chapter, he goes on and he talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac. He talks about Jacob. He talks about Joseph. And then he gets and he talks about Moses. From verses 22 to verses 43, I believe he talks about Moses. And he talks about everything having to do with Moses. And he talks about the glory of God in the wilderness. Let's go to verse, uh, verse 43. It says, no, you, it says, no, you took up the tent of Melech and you carried it with you in the star of the God of Raphain, the images which you yourselves made that you might worship them. Talking about worshiping foreign gods. And it says, I will remove you and beyond Babylon. Verse 44, our fathers had the tent. He's talking about Moses of a witness in the wilderness, even as he who directed Moses to make it as he had ordered according to the pattern in the model he had seen. Now get that. This is, he's talking about the God of glory, and then he gets here. 
So let me just teach for a moment, okay? He who directed Moses to make it had ordered according to the pattern. So God had directed Moses in this particular pattern. Let's look at verse 45. Our fathers in turn brought it, this tent, in with them into the land with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations which God drove out before the face of our forefathers. So it remained here until the time of David. Say David. Let's look at verse 46. Who found grace in the sight of God and prayed that he might be allowed to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So, so we see Moses in a dwelling place. Now we see David and we see that David wanted to make him a place. Verse 47. But it was Solomon. It was Solomon who built a house for him. So here we see Moses, we see David, and we see Solomon. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. In Exodus chapter 40, God is giving Moses some direction. He's giving him direction on how he needs to treat this house or, or how to prepare this house. And if you read the first 15 verses of Exodus 40, it will tell them everything that God said. God said, do this, and God said, do this, and God said, do this. And so when you start right after that, if you look in verse 18, it says, Moses spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded. If you look at verse 21, it ends, it says, and as the Lord had commanded. If you look at the end of verse 23, as the Lord had commanded. Verse 25, at the end, it says, as the Lord had commanded him. Verse 27, he burned sweet incense upon it as the Lord had commanded him. Verse 28, and he set up a hanger or a screen at the door of the tabernacle. Moses put the altar of the burnt offering at the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it burnt offerings and cereal offerings as the Lord had commanded. Verse 32, when they went to the tent of meeting or came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 33, and he built the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and he set up a hanging or a screen in the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud remained upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Here, get this, Stephen was talking about Moses and the God of glory and he talks about how Moses built this. And so what happened when Moses completed everything God told him to do, it says then, then See, this was a heart issue with Moses. Obedience is a heart issue. Amen. And then when Moses had finished everything God told him to do, then the cloud came down in such a way that they couldn't stand. The glory of God was so heavy that they couldn't stand because of that glory. If we go over and we look at David in, in uh, Psalms chapter 26. Psalms 26. Psalms 26, verse 8. He says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house in the place where your glory dwells. I love the habitation of your house in the place where your glory dwells. If you go to, go to the next, next chapter in 27, it says of David, One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty 
So, so Stephen talked about Moses and he talked about David. They had, they had this desire and they had this heart for the glory of God. Of We just want to see you, God. I just want to see you. Moses, we know, show me your glory. Show me your glory. David was like, I love the place where you, I love your house because that's where you are. Then he talked about Solomon. Let's go to Second Chronicles. We'll get back to Stephen in a minute. Second Chronicles chapter 5. Hallelujah. The word of God is life changing. And I'm sowing the word of God into your heart. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and I, I want it produced in you an expectation and a desire for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles verse five, chapter 5, verse 11, it says, And when the priests had come out of the holy place, for all the priests present had sanctified themselves and separated themselves from everything that defiles without regard to their divisions. So what is it? this is a heart thing. They separated themselves. And all the Levites who were singers, and all of those of Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and the sons of the kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen, having cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them priests, excuse me, blowing trumpets. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking God. And when they had lifted up their voices and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. All this was, it was a heart. They separated themselves and they worshiped. If, if you look at chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread forth his hands. For he had made a bronze scaffold, five cubits square, three cubits high. And it set it in the midst of the court. Upon it he stood and he knelt upon his knees before all the assembly of Israel. And he spread forth his hand toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven or in earth, keeping covenant and showing mercy and loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. Man, if you read this whole chapter, this is all of a prayer of Solomon. If you get down to verse 39, it says, Then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, the supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O God, I beseech you, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. So now arise, O Lord, and come into your resting place, you in the ark of your strength and power. Let your priests, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let your salvation rejoice in good and in your goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of your anointed one. Remember your good deeds, mercy, and steadfast love for David, your servant. Now look at chapter 7. When Solomon had finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory had filled, the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory, uh, and the lo- glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed with their faces upon the pavement and they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy and love and kindness endure forever. 
So when Stephen was talking about these things and he was bringing up the God of glory and he was dealing with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and now he's bringing up Moses, he brings up David and he brings up Solomon. Let's go back to Acts chapter 7. The glory of the Lord. Show me your glory. Say that, show me your glory. Hallelujah. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What are you pursuing after? What you're pursuing after is what you'll receive. What you're going after is what you'll get. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Verse 48. Remember, we just talked about Moses in the temple. We talked about David and his habitation. And we talked about Solomon in the house of God. But verse 48 says, However... The Most High does not dwell in houses and temples made with hands. Hallelujah. See, he he was talking about the glory that was then. But Stephen is also, if you read Zechariah, it talks about that the latter glory will be greater than the former glory. So he says here, however, the Most High does not dwell in hands and temples made with hands, as as the prophets say. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now, now get this. He this is this is what he's saying is is what Stephen is telling us. He doesn't dwell with temples made with hands. And then right after he says, why? Because heaven is my home and the earth is my footstool. Meaning, meaning I want to inhabit not just a temple. I want to inhabit the whole earth. I just don't want to, he goes, I am inhabiting heaven, but my earth is my footstool. Earth is where I place my feet. Earth is where I've planted the, the ground right here where you and I live. This is where I place. It's not just in temples made with hands, but I want my glory to be seen in all the earth. Habakkuk prophesies and Habakkuk declares that the earth, hallelujah, that the earth shall be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So it's not just about what happens in this room, but what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in your home, what he wants to do in your workplace is everywhere you go. He wants to manifest. Why? Because the glory wasn't just made for a temple. It was made to it was it was made not just for heaven, but the earth is his footstool. Hallelujah. Heaven is my throne in the earth that footstool for my feet. What kind of house can you build me, says the Lord? Or what is the place in which I can rest? Was it not my hand that made all these things? Verse 51, you stubborn and stiff-necked people. Still heathen and uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You're always actively resisting the Holy Spirit as your forefathers were. So you are and so you do. What was going to hinder them? They were stiff-necked. Their ears were closed. Why? Because their heart wasn't... They weren't circumcised in heart, meaning their heart wasn't going after God. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your forefathers not persecute? And they slew those who proclaimed beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as it was ordained and set in order and delivered by the angels, and yet you did not obey it. Now, upon hearing these things, the Jews were cut to the heart and infuriated, and they ground their teeth against Stephen. Verse 51, but he, full of the Holy Spirit and controlled by him, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. Here, now get this, Stephen, 
His face shone like an angel. They ask him, are these things true? And he goes in and he preaches to them the, the, God, the, glory of, the, the, the God of glory of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Solomon. And he goes in and talks about what God wants to do. But they're saying, even the prophets prophesied about Jesus coming, but you killed the prophets. And he's standing there and he's looking up. Full of what he was known for. And he sees Jesus. See, what, what he was preaching about, now he was seeing. What he was preaching about, he was seeing. What, what he was talking about, he was seeing. And it, and it got to a place where it didn't matter what any of them were saying, any of them were doing. It was like, I'm seeing him. I'm seeing him. I saw into heaven and I saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, look, I see the heavens open. He even said it. Look, I see the heavens open and the son of man is standing at the right hand of God. But they raised a great shout and they put their hands over their ears and rushed together upon him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses placed their garments at his feet of the young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive and accept and welcome my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out loudly, Lord, fix not this sin upon them. Lay it not to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. Now get this. Verse 1, and Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approved. On that day, a great and a severe persecution broke out against the church, which is in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Hallelujah. Let's go to Acts 9. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Meanwhile, Saul, still drawing his breath hard from the threatening and the murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he requested him letters to the synagogue in Damascus, authorizing him so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Verse 3. Now as he traveled on, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him. If you look in, in later on in Acts when he talks, talks about the glory, I saw the glory of the Lord. Now I'm bringing these points together because I want you to see something. Here... Stephen is. He's looking up to heaven and he sees the glory of God. And he even declares, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And he's looking up and he's prophesying. And he says this. He bows, he bows on his knees and he says, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they do. They don't know what they do. And what did the people do? They cast their garments before who? Saul? When we see Acts chapter 9, you know what we're seeing? We're seeing the manifestation of Stephen's prayer. We're seeing the manifestation of Stephen's prayer. He's bowing on his knee, Lord, forgive, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And what happened? The glory, the same glory that Stephen was seeing. The same glory that, was, that got Stephen's attention. That same glory is the same glory that eclipsed Paul's life. The same glory. 
to where Paul saw this same glory. And he, he tried to describe the brightness of it. And he couldn't even put it in words. But this glory, the same glory that Stephen saw was the same glory that Paul encountered on the road to Damascus. And he was like, and Paul was like, who are you, Lord? Because I'm the one you're persecuting. There's no, there's no case that's too far gone for the glory of God. There's, there's no, that, that you, there's no, you can't, you can't outrun and be too far away from the glory of God. Here the apostle Paul, a, a, a killer, a murderer was standing there, but yet the glory of God had the ability to change his life, but it all came on the back of Stephen praying for him. You seeing the glory of God in your life is important to affect others around you. Stephen, when he was looking up, he was like, I just want to be where you are. See, it didn't matter about losing his life. It was, look, I just want to be where you are. I just want to be where you are. Thank you, Father. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thank you, Father. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians 2. Let's pick up with the Apostle Paul. Sorry, Philippians 3. Hallelujah. If I took the time to read all 21 verses, those first eight verses, you could see in the natural... Paul had everything a man could want. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, counting the law. He was blameless. He had lots of money. He, 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 he was known by people. He, he, he was famous, so to speak. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He, he, had, he had a lot of prestige. And he gets down here in verse 8. He says... Yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege. I'm reading the Amplified. The overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Man. I count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. For his sake I've lost everything and considered it all but mere rubbish. In order that I may win and gain Christ the anointed one. Meaning all those things in my past I count as nothing. On that day at the road to Damascus when he saw the glory of God nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. No natural success, no, no natural prestige, no fame, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered except knowing the one that eclipsed his life. Nothing else mattered but, but the one he met on that road. Nothing else could compare to what he experienced. On the, he never felt anything like it. He never saw anything like it. He never saw anything that bright. He never, he, he never got a hold and felt such peace. He never, he never understood the thing he had, been, he had been pursuing God the way he thought he should have. But when he realized, man, you know what? There's something more. There's something more. Verse 9 says, and that I may actually be found and known as in him, 
not having my own righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands. Thank you, Father. Which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. faith. Verse 10, for my determined purpose is that I may know him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving and recognizing, understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. Hallelujah. Now get that. I may come to know him in the outpouring of his resurrection. Which it exerted over believers. And that I may so also share in his sufferings. As to be continually transformed in the spirit into his likeness, even to death and in the hope. Verse 11, that if possible, I may attain to the resurrection out from among the dead. Man, my determined purpose is to know him. My determined purpose, meaning there's no other purpose I have in life. I have one purpose. My heart, my heart has one person, purpose. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure heart is having one focus. A pure heart is, is, is one direction. A pure heart is having one, one direction you're going after. One purpose you're pursuing. And that's what, De, what Paul was saying. My, my determined purpose. My sole purpose. My only thing that I'm concerned with. The only thing I'm running after is to know him. Blessed are the pure in heart. See, it's so easy to have lots of focuses. It's so easy to, to be going in all sorts of different directions. But Paul says, I have one. And that purpose is to know him. And the, get this, and the power that's outflowing from his resurrection. Well, what is that power? Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says that, that God raised Jesus by the glory of God. So Paul was saying, you know what? When he was saying, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, he go, I want to know his glory. That's what he said. I want to know his glory. I have one purpose. I have one focus. I want to know his glory. I want to know his glory. And, it, it, you know, and the thing is, it's not about Paul cleaning himself up. It's not about Paul saying, well, I got to do this, 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 and this, and then I can pursue God. No, you pursue God and let him take care of everything else. You pursue God and let him clean you up. You pursue God and let him give you direction. You pursue God and let him mature. You pursue God. Paul's my determined purpose is this. Verse 12, not... Now get this, not that I've now attained or have already been made perfect, but I press on, but I press on, thank you, Father, to lay hold of and grasp and make it my own, that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me and made me his own. Now, now, now get a picture of this. In the King James, it says, now, not as though I've already attained, either we're already perfect, but I follow after if that I might apprehended for that which I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Meaning, I want to lay hold of Jesus like Jesus laid hold of me. See, the glory of God apprehended him on the road to Damascus. And he says, it's not that I'm already perfect, but I want to apprehend. What is apprehend? I want to lay hold of. I want to possess. I want to receive to myself the one that actually laid hold of me. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. 
Meaning, I'm not saying that I have everything together, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect yet. I'm not saying that I know everything yet, but he said, this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind, and I reach forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Ah, This one thing I do, I forget those things behind. I forget all the natural things. And this one thing I do, I reach forth to those things that are before. What's Paul reaching before? Heaven. His calling. The master standing before Caesar. Everything that God called him to. This one thing I do, I forget those things behind. And I reach forth. I reach forth. See, you can't have your heart, blessed are the pure in heart. You can't have your heart filled with your past and expect you're going to go forward. He goes, I have to forget those things that are behind and I'm reaching forward. I'm reaching. He's pursuing what? The glory of God. I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Hallelujah. Meaning we should have this same mind that we should be reaching forward, reaching forward, going after. The same thing that apprehended Paul is the same thing that we should be pursuing after. The same thing that that changed his life is the same thing we should be pursuing after. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now I read in, in earlier in Philippians in the same chapter when he after worship when he he talked about man I just want to be where he is. I, I want to depart, but it's far better that I'm here with you. And really, this has really been the, the determined purpose. Whether we're talking about Abraham, talk about Noah, you talk about Enoch. Enoch had said he had this, this life, what his testimony was that he walked with God. Noah, Noah, it said that he had this, this was the history of his generation, meaning this was the history of his life, that he, that he, he walked righteousness, that he was meek, and it said he had this testimony that he fellowshiped with God. He walked with God. Every man or woman of God throughout Scripture, they had this same determined purpose, to walk with God. Elijah wanted to walk with God. Elisha wanted to walk with God. David wanted to know God. Solomon wanted to build a house where God was present. The prophets wanted to know God. Jesus, we talked about it last week. He had this testimony. Revelation talks about, and that testimony was what? Worship God. Jesus had the same testimony in John 17 where he said, said, I have continued. No, I have, I, I have known you continually. Then he says, and I will continue to make you known. I have known you continually. This lets me know this was Jesus' pursuit. This was Jesus' heart. I just want to be where he is. I just want to be where he is. Now, now don't get me wrong. It's not about, it's not, about not being able to relate to the world down here. But it's having always an ear turned towards heaven. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Meaning I live in this world, but I don't receive my strength from this world. Jesus even told, told some of his disciples, and, and he, goes, he goes, I'm from above and you are from beneath. You're of this world and I'm not of this world. He goes, what I speak, I don't speak of this world, but I speak of some things from above. I'm born from above. 
You know what? And you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Hallelujah. You know what? You are born from above. Hallelujah. You have a new nature. You, have, you are a new creation. Hallelujah. You are a new creation. You are born from above. And we need to have the same heart focus. I just want to be where he is. Hallelujah. Let's go to Hebrews 11 and I'll close with this. Hebrews 11. This is the hero, hall of, the hero, the hall of faith of faith, the, the, the heroes of faith. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. What was that? A man of faith is a man that is always pursuing God. If you, if you look at this, and we can use these instances because we can see the life of faith, and we can see how faith works. We can see how faith operates. We can see our right to be able to live by faith. We see, we see the, 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 the force of faith. We see that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence that's not seen. We, we see... Uh, how the worlds were framed by faith, we, by, by the word of God. We, we see how God operates. We see how, we, we see how faith can, can, is, a, is a strength to our life. We see that it's a spiritual force. Now, I want to bring something out in the scripture that all these men of faith had in common. And, and sometimes, you know, if you, if you don't look at it carefully, you miss what the heartbeat behind some of these men of faith were. That their faith wasn't just to possess material things. Their faith wasn't just to, uh, for, for natural purposes. Their faith was leading them somewhere. Their faith was leading them in a direction and all those other things are good because our faith or for this is laying hold of the promises of God. Abraham laid hold of the promise of God through faith and, and by faith. But what were they really seeking after? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. Actually, verse 9. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Remember when Stephen talked, he said, the the God of glory. He talked about Abraham. Verse 10 says, For he looked, Abraham looked, For a city which had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham was looking for a city that was not made by man, but he was looking for a city that was built by God. Stay with me here. Verse 12. So from one man, though he was physically as good as dead, there have sprung descendants whose numbers is as stars of the heavens and as countless as the innumerable sands of the seashore. Let me ask you, are you an heir to Abraham? So he's talking about you here. He's talking about you. So from one man, though he was physically as good as dead, there have sprung descendants whose number as the stars of heaven, as countless as the innumerable sands of the seashore. He's talking about you and I are descendants of Abraham. We call him the father of faith, right? Verse 13, these people all died controlled and sustained by their faith. 
They die controlled and sustained by their faith, but not having received the tangible fulfillment of God's promises, only having seen it and greeted it from a great distance by faith. And all the while acknowledging, confessing that they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. Here, they received promises, but yet they didn't see the fullness of them. They said, why? Because they were strangers and temporary residents and exiles upon the earth. Verse 14. Now those people who talk as they did show plainly they're in search of a fatherland. Verse 15. If they had been thinking with remembrance of that country from which they were immigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. Meaning if they were looking for a natural land, then they will always try to go back to that land. But they were immigrants. They were strangers. Verse, verse 16. But the truth is that they were yearning for and aspiring to a better and a more desirable country that is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to call, be called their God. Even to the surname their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For he has prepared a city for them. Meaning they weren't looking for a natural city because if they were, they could have gone back to it. But what they're really seeking is they were seeking heaven. They were seeking heaven. They were seeking heaven. For he had prepared for them a city. I want you to know this morning he's prepared for you and I a city. Jesus says that, said, don't be discouraged. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let not your heart be troubled. For you believe in God, believe also in me. For I have gone to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, this whole reality of this pure heart comes down to, I just want to be where he is. I just want to be where he is. Everyone stand to your feet. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Worship team, you come up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the glory of God. Thank you for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank you for the glory of God. Thank you for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Thank you for the glory of God. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the promise of eternity. I thank you for sending Jesus that's given us access, that's given us a place and a position in you that we could come boldly to the throne of grace. Father, that this morning our heart would be one that beats after heaven. That we would have a heartbeat like Stephen had. That we would pursue after you to see you high and lifted up, to see your glory. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Just start worshiping out of your heart. Thank you, Father, for the glory of God. I thank you for the glory of God. Thank you for your manifested presence in this place. Thank you for the glory. That we have a heartbeat after heaven. That our faith is one that is looking for a city. Our faith is one that's causing us to pursue after you, to run after you, to to walk after you, to pursue you, to, to pursue your word, to know your word, to know you, 
in the power of your resurrection, to know the glory of God the way Paul knew the glory of God. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.